0: Welcome to Green Minds, a podcast of the Southeast Sustainability Directors Network. I'm Catherine Mercier-Baggett. In our last episode, my co-host Laurel Creech discussed the structure of sustainability offices with four different cities part of our membership to better understand where and how we work. For this installment, we continue to explore the profession, but this time would have focused on career paths. Some of our peers took the direct approach by studying sustainability, equity, or resilience, for example, and for other people, taking a detour was simply part of the process. But with the concept of sustainability starting really to emerge in the 1990s, for those of us who entered the workforce before, let's say 2000, sustainability was still a new topic and not available as a major, and that leads to interesting stories. I asked four members of SSDN to share their journey with us. We kick off with Casey Calloway. She's Chief Resilience Officer for Mobile, Alabama. Glenn Hadwin, Sustainability Manager for Fort Lauderdale, Florida is next. Then I speak with the Sustainability Officer for Little Rock, Arkansas, Lenny Massanelli. And we call again on George Santucci, Sustainability and Special Projects Manager in the town of Boone, North Carolina. And in closing, I will tell my own story. Let's get started with Casey. Hello, Casey. Thank you for accepting the invitation and welcome to Green Minds. Let's get started with telling us a little bit about your position with Mobile.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be a part of this. I'm the chief resilience officer for the city of Mobile. Uh, First one in the state of Alabama and have been here since last May, May 10th. So I'm entering my, getting close to my 11th month in this uh, new position and new field for me. Well, congratulations on, on both fronts, uh, starting a new
0: job and being a pioneer. That's amazing.
1: It, it's It's exciting. It's hard because it's a new job after I left one. I've been living and thriving in for 23 years. It's hard because I'm also creating it a little bit from whole cloth. So that's kind of the fun and challenge. Uh, but it's been really amazing, especially to have such wonderful leadership from the Southeastern Sustainability Network and others who've been just super helpful to help me guide, guide me down the path to doing this right or at least not stepping off of too many cliffs.
0: <laughs> that's good. Do you want to talk about those 20 some years that brought you there?
1: Sure. I just left service as the Mobile Baykeeper, um, part of Waterkeeper Alliance. Uh, Mobile Baykeeper was the 37th member of Waterkeeper Alliance and so joined in 1999 when it was still pretty new of of a parent organization and i was the first in the state of alabama on that one too i forgot wow and got to grow the organization from a staff of me to a staff of 20 well actually 2021 was a over a million dollar budget so really proud of that too but really been working in the environmental advocacy field for decades. I was, I did the same thing and or similar work in Washington, DC for clean water action prior to. So always nonprofits, always advocacy work. Entering the government sphere has been a big challenge, but you know, did have a lot, a lot of knowledge, a lot of information about how the laws work, how policies work, and then of course how the environmental, where the environmental needs are, where the community needs are. But how you do it from the inside, as opposed to from the outside poking on the inside at all the government agencies—that's <laughs> been a um, a learning curve and a, a lesson in humility because there are a whole lot of reasons why things don't move as fast as I thought they did from outside.
0: <laughs> right, I can I can only imagine. I worked in the private sector and then the public, so I, I understand that shift. Um, but definitely coming from an advocacy, is that's a very different story.
1: <laughs> it, it is, and I, I knew I didn't want to be the boss anymore. I wanted to work on a team with a team with a good, strong team, which is why I chose our mayor. I'm a huge fan of Mayor stemson He is. Entering his third term, and I watched him just make significant headway and change for the city of Mobile over the first two terms. He's a Mobile lifer who is uh, who did not need this job and took it on because he saw the need for the community and a role he could play and fill. And he's been consistent in looking at. How does the environment play into the economy and the community? How do we make sure these three legs of every stool are really, really cared for and and promoted and supported? And so when I decided I wanted to leave Mobile Baykeeper, this was the right path to kind of come down and have a good conversation with him. And he was fully in the, well, if you're going to do something else, you need to do it with me. (laughs) So we're on this adventure together, I think.
0: Well, it's always good and really essential to have political support for sure. So, who else is on your team? Do you have similar
1: backgrounds or do you really complement each other? I am the only one in the chief resilience officer. So, I'm the chief of me, but I serve on the public works team. So, and I'm kind of in this weird hybrid seat on the org chart, mainly because. Well, I see it as I work for everybody because a lot of what a, a resilience officer is doing, what what a lot of resilience is needed in a city like ours and across the country, is we need to de-silo. We need to see where our engineering team is working with our environmental uh, environmental permitting team, and our housing team is working with. Litter. I mean, you name it, we got to get these folks talking across their fields, as opposed to just doing, staying in silo and staying in their own kind of comfort zones. Uh, Resilience really is about, for me, it's about figuring out best practices and making sure everybody has access to those best practices, just because it didn't start in in Department A doesn't mean Department C can't use it, and it's it's going to be it's going to be super effective across so many different fields, and including the non the external worlds. So the for profit and the nonprofit world getting into and engaged in city and in government work, and that's a lot of what I think. Uh, that's a lot of the skill I bring to the table with twenty three years of experience. I know in a reasonably small town. I know everybody. I know the industries, the the folks who love me, and the folks who don't because I was an advocate, um, but really worked hard to build solid relationships. So even if they we were in a fight, we still had we still left it with a good relationship. And then the nonprofit organizations, of course, you know I know them very well. Actively engaged across lots of sectors, but making sure we're looking at how they play into resilience. With the city and how we can work together. That's just a huge next step and an important role. We got to figure out how to mush together, if you will. Tell me
0: how was that transition where you were somewhat of in an opposition role? And then having to turn those people around and convince them that you're now a co-worker. How did that pan out? I,
1: I, I would say that's still work in progress. I'm hoping that, you know, at, the end, at my one year mark, everybody's like, she's on our team. I think, and and they do. I mean, everybody knows I'm on the team. It's, you know, Mobile Baykeeper never sued the city of Mobile, but we pushed hard on things like stormwater and litter and water quality, how the permitting has gone. But we worked in part, and and especially over the last eight years with the mayor, Mayor Simpson, we have worked in partnership. So when um, the previous mayor was doing a terrible, terrible job of our stormwater for the city, we pushed and pushed and poked and prodded on that. When Mayor Stimson came in, it was first order of business for him to get that straightened up. Now, outside of the gates, you see that as the mayor doing it. Inside the gates, you recognize that there's a whole staff that did that, and they were there before and they were there after with different kind of with different directives. Um, so we hope that we pushed and praised a lot um, for these folks as they made those changes, and we did. But it's still there's trust that has to be built or rebuilt. There's there's a comfort that they've got to know I'm on their team and not still like the narc trying to get information for the agency or for the nonprofits. So it's a it's a work in progress, but there's such amazing people who work here that it's such a joy every day to learn, learn more about them, learn from them. And then kind got to work on those trust building exercises. It's for real. I would encourage every advocate in the world to do their advocacy nicely. <laughs> and maybe make cookies and bring them to the city council meetings on a regular basis. <laughs> Something like that.
0: Well, in the end, uh, very often the, the goals, the ultimate goals of nonprofits and the government, they really mesh. It's just
1: taking different paths to get there and different timelines my family would say how can you work for government and so many people you hear that I hear that a lot and timeline is real but the they, you know how long it takes to do a thing But honestly, now, again, that I'm inside this, I'm like, well, here's why it takes a long time. You have to answer these 37 questions. You have to go through legal to make sure that you're doing it right. And the one that most of us don't like to hear out in the regular world is we have to make sure that whatever it is we're doing works for the entire community, not just you, not just one sector, not just one neighborhood. It has to fit across every sector that is. We don't think about that when we're in our, I care about A and I want A to happen. Why can't you make A happen faster? Because maybe that's, there's a whole lot more to A than you think there is. And that's, that has been eye-opening and a really big learning curve for me. And, it, and again, a place where I hope I'm being more humble and, and more generous with letting, with why something takes a while. So do you get to still work with Baykeepers? Oh, absolutely. And I'm the founding mama. So they they still love me. I want to see the organization thrive. And, and I will say this too for folks who've been a leader in an organization like that for a long time. Change is good. It's good for the organization as well as for you. If I stuck around too long, I could have killed the organization just out of comfort. And I think it's really important to let things change because change is growth most of the time. Absolutely. Wise words.
0: (laughs) In closing, is there anything that that you want to talk about that's upcoming? uh, Any exciting project or recent accomplishments?
1: Well, I am ecstatic that we have finally put out the RFP for our resilience assessment and plan. So we're gonna do an internal real audit of where we are looking at where climate is, where sea level is, but also like where the social and economic changes are coming and then lay out our stressors and shocks. And then, how we're going to you know address them moving forward, so I'm so excited about that, and I'm hiring. I will be a staff of two very soon, or a team of two. <laughs> you know, a lot of really great stuff happening across mobile it's a It's a beautiful city with so much to offer, and it's really exciting to to get to stay home but do some, and do something that I love for my community. So I wish that for everyone. <laughs>
0: We wish you all the best with that planning exercise. It's definitely not going to be necessarily easy, but it's always good to have a roadmap, right?
1: (laughs) Yes, I'm so excited. (laughs) But I'm so excited for this opportunity. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure to uh, get to know you better. Okay, thank you. (laughs) Thank you for your time and your wisdom. Well, thank you for giving this to everybody, every community member. I love it.
0: You are listening to Green Minds, the podcast of SSDN. You just heard from Casey Callaway with Mobile, Alabama, and next we have Glenn with Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Hey, Glenn! Thank you so much for taking the time to uh, to speak with us. Um, as we get started, w- would you mind telling us a little bit of what you do in Fort Lauderdale?
2: Absolutely. I am the sustainability manager for the city of Fort Lauderdale. I work in the public works department manager of the sustainability and climate resilience group, which is probably more more equivalent to sustainability offices um, in other cities. It's just that we a total of seven positions, including myself, and we do work to advance sustainability, climate resilience, climate mitigation within the city operations, within the city as a whole, and some of the efforts we lead and others were more of a consultant to the rest of the city.
0: That sounds like a good office. We're interviewing you today because you don't have the traditional path, although the tradition is not very long, of becoming a sustainability professional. Could you tell us, how did you make your way into sustainability?
2: I've been out of school for a while. And when I was in school, there wasn't, I don't think there were any programs. My undergraduate degree was actually in electrical engineering. I thought I wanted to be an engineer. When I graduated, I decided I didn't. And I spent a little time figuring out that I, I did some medical research. And I was in Boston at the time. Harvard had a basically a night school, and anyone could take their classes. And they had some environmental classes, and I started taking those and learning about environmental issues. As I said, there, there weren't really any classes in sustainability or climate change. I took a few classes there, and that actually led me into their School of Public Health, where I studied... Uh, Environmental health, looking at individual exposures to chemicals in the air. And I would learn how to measure them and track them. I thought that was really interesting. One of the significant things that happened while I was there is that this was probably around 1992. I saw that Al Gore was giving a talk. Um, And I went and I heard him, and he talked about climate change. And I remember going and being really impressed about this challenge we were facing and myself at the time, boy, they'll figure something out for this. This was 1992. And so I finished my program and I started doing working on environmental health and safety and as a consultant and and I I enjoyed that. And we went down to, to Miami. I continued consulting while I was there. And it seemed like the climate change issues, sea level rise were becoming more and more prominent. And I've been getting involved with uh, the Green Building Council, the local, local chapters. And some of the cities in the area were starting to create their, their very first sustainability offices. And the city of Miami created theirs in 2007. And at that time, there were no sustainability professionals and that they had an opening there. And I, I joined their staff in late 2007. And my first task there was to work on their very first greenhouse gas inventory and climate action plan. That's how I got there. into. Kind of make an end note to my interest. In 2015, Al Gore had the climate reality training in Miami, and and I attended that. And to go back to that moment in 92, it's still as big a problem as ever, is, you know, how are we going to deal with climate change? How is South Florida in particular going to learn how to live and be a vi- viable municipalities with rising sea level. And it's a huge challenge in our main And there's no, no shortcut solution today.
0: Right. Florida is really in a bind as, you know, being this uh, very desirable place to live. But if it becomes an aquatic environment and, and, beyond tropical, there's no telling how that's that's gonna work out. It sounds like like your story makes makes a lot of sense. There's not a lot of like happenstance or bizarre detours. If I understand this correctly, you're coming from a very technical background. How does that apply to your current job? Is it something that you use on a daily basis?
2: I think that I I don't necessarily use the technical aspects. I think I actually to go back to engineering degree, which I've never I've never worked a day as an electrical engineer, but I have a degree in it. But I think it taught me something about how to think about problems. To go a little deeper on my my, my graduate degree, it was a master's of science in in, in environmental health and industrial hygiene which is a pretty unusual field. I'm actually, and I remain, a certified industrial hygienist. That's just someone who looks at occupational health and safety issues. But part of my job there was to to go into, it might be a factory or an office building, and they might have a problem. Like uh, people were being exposed to a certain chemical. So I would need to go and understand how the process works. One of the things that I've learned from early in my career is how to look at processes, operations, how people are doing things, and where you can look for opportunities for change and improvement. Gotcha.
0: Now, is there something that you feel you would have liked to learn in a school setting, but it didn't happen?
2: You know, learned a lot of things on my own over time. When I started out, there were very few people who were doing this. It's increased a lot. You know, some of the basics of how to look at gas emissions, how to... Another big thing is just how does local government work? When I started in 2007, I went from consulting to local government and And figuring out where the the opportunities are. And and one thing, you know, over the years from talking to other people in the field, is it seems like every government is different. You have to, you know, tread a slightly different path wherever you are. And you need to learn to be adaptable and patient. And it often seems like things take much longer than they should.
0: (laughs) Yes, absolutely. That is true. Yes, local government is uh, is a different animal. What's happening right now in Fort Lauderdale? Do you have any exciting projects you'd like to highlight?
2: Certainly. After about a year back and forth with our city commission in December of 2021, they adopted a net zero resolution setting goals for the community and the local government to achieve net zero By 2040 in the government operations and 2050 in the community. So this year, we're starting to figure out how we're going to do that. We're hoping to be able to bring someone in to help us develop a net zero plan. Also, we're recently accepted into the lead for cities national cohort. So we'll be working on that and looking at where our strengths and areas for improvement as a city in the many aspects of sustainability. One more thing we're hoping to do is a citywide comprehensive vulnerability assessment. We've done vulnerability in over the years, you know, looking at it in the context of our our water utility or our parks or our stormwater management. But this is the first time we're going to try and look at it. From that comprehensive viewpoint.
0: Well, it sounds uh, like you have a lot of interesting projects and very ambitious targets. That's uh, wow. <laughs> I'm envious a little bit here. I don't know
2: how we're going to do it.
0: <laughs> I'm sure you will find a way. Feels like with, with the urgency, we don't we don't have a choice. We'll we'll, we'll make it happen.
2: <laughs> Absolutely. I think that's one of the big challenges. Is Balancing what we see as the urgency and sustainability, you know, the, I, I see climate change as a you know a huge existential question, like what is our city going to look like and be like, and and then they're providing for resources and attention against the urgency of today. Today's urgency in our city is that our our water and sewer infrastructure is all well past its um, life cycle. So things are starting to break. Things need to be replaced. And that's where the focus is today. But the questions of sustainability are I think are, are similar magnitude, they're just not quite as urgent today, even though we do get plenty of nuisance flooding here. Right. So we see the impacts of climate change today. They're just not as bad as they're going to be.
0: Maybe if we lived 250 years instead of 80-something, it would, it would
2: change our perspective.
0: Right, right. Thank you so much for accepting our invitation. It was really great to get to know you a little better and good luck with uh, especially the net zero. I'm very intrigued and I can't wait to see how that unfolds. Thank you. You just heard from Glenn Hadwin with Fort Lauderdale in Florida and you are still listening to Green Minds, the podcast of SSDN. Coming up next, we have Lenny Massinelli in Little Rock, Arkansas. She is followed by George Santucci from the town of Boone in North Carolina. Hey, Lenny. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today. I can't wait to hear
3: what's your story. Do you mind just telling us what's your current role? Sure. Thank you for having me um, on your podcast today. It's a pleasure to be here. My name is Lenny Massanelli. I'm the sustainability officer for the city of Little Rock, Arkansas, and it's an office of two.
0: Yes, as, as it is in a lot of municipalities right. outside of Orlando.
3: <laughs> yeah. Tell
0: me, how did you make your way into the field of sustainability?
3: Sure. It's it's interesting because in my 20s and I'm nearly 50 now but in my 20s I was really interested in sustainability in particular how the city of Little Rock was growing and it wasn't a very smart growth. I was concerned about some of the uh, the forest being eaten up to take in more developments and and so forth and Uh, I had an opportunity to volunteer in a city of Little Rock initiated project called Vision 2000. So this was in, I think, the year 2000. And the opportunity was to group together with other volunteers, other city employees, people with a vested interest in business, all of these uh, community players to discuss how we wanted to see our city grow. It was A project that lasted, I guess it was about a month, and it had a huge impact on me. I was in my mid-20s, and I really felt connected to Little Rock and actually to any type of community for the first time. And that informed how I wanted to continue to connect and to see improvements and to have input, like to be part of a community. So I went on to uh, graduate from college, and what I graduated with was a museum studies degree in education. That was my my uh, my passion, being interested in in museums and things that hold value over time, and also wanting to teach about that sort of thing. My job at as a museum educator that was pretty much what I what I did up until I found the opportunity for the sustainability educator position in in 2019.
0: Well, I find it very interesting that you're coming from the education angle, as opposed to a lot of sustainability managers, directors, officers, you know, whatever our title is. We come from a technical background, Mm
2: -hmm. Uh,
0: somewhat envy the human aspect of your training that I absolutely did not get. But I mean, from here, either uh, if you want to talk about how that has been an advantage to you, or if you want to continue through your journey from 2019 up to you.
3: Yeah. I worked at a science center here in town, teaching a variety of ages, adults, teenagers, people with some kind of disability, uh, people with even some language barriers and then all the way down to pre-k and so it's and I did that for years and on many different topics and so it really helps me be able to fine-tune my message so that I could reach anybody which was very important in stepping into a city environment and my first job here, and like I said, I've only been here since October 2019, was the sustainability educator. And so for a good four months, I, you know, went to civic groups, spoke at schools, um, you know, a variety of, of, again, people and circumstances that um, it was just my my topic sort of focused in on just sustainability on on a few things rather than science and everything beyond four months. And then the pandemic hit and I got sent home. And so when in uh, late May of 2020, I did go back to the office, the sustainability officer at the time. And I just had to really refocus and reimagine our work, and what we needed to be doing because we weren't being in front of people. Everything that we had known pretty much was not what was going to be happening for the unforeseeable future. So that's when we kind of beefed up our social media platforms, added to them. And we were on um, some podcasts we created, along with the Sustainability Commission, a six-series radio show that we aired on our community radio and is now on our website. The Sustainability Office, for over a decade, each year had a um, sustainability summit. It was a luncheon, it was guest speakers, it was a panel. It was a summit about sustainability that got shut down completely for 2020. And then 2021, we did a, um, a virtual summit. I really got a chance to kind of recreate the position and work in tandem with the officer. As my role of educator and going and visiting and getting tours at the Murph or at the landfill, that wasn't happening anymore. So I really worked with the officer at the time. So when she left in May of last year, Then I went solo through the summer and into the fall, just kind of continuing with some projects I've been working on, uh, working with the Sustainability Commission with Keep Little Rock Beautiful, organizing the National Drive Electric Week event, you know, not having had an opportunity to get in front of my fellow city employees or anybody else for that matter. It did make any kind of growth, any kind of mission of sustainability more challenging. I became promoted uh, within a a month of the officer leading to officer position. By October, I hired an an educator who had a very diverse background in graphic design. In fact, she'd even worked with our parks department on signage, our solid waste department on signage. So she already knew some of the players in various departments of the city she had been a sustainability commissioner in the past my being older and having lived in little rock for so long and having those connections to be able to to plug in to people and organizations and businesses and so forth for different projects and her wheelhouse um, having sort of a plugged in in other areas in Little Rock as long as she's been here, plus what she's able to accomplish with that quick graphic design and that very visual messaging, which is so key. it's just It's been great since October. And I feel like the Sustainability Office of Little Rock is really making some strides. We've got some great projects coming out, especially next month. We're taking advantage of Earth Month and especially Earth Week, we're just using that whole week to launch some guides for the city, a green guide for events, a green restaurant certification program, and through a a conservation grant with the zoo. We're going to highlight what's happening with our electric vehicle, uh, fleet and infrastructure, uh, solar arrays um, with residential use and commercial, with composting, and some pilots are wanting to do right here in the city in our urban forestry and just a variety of things that are going to bring some awareness to our community of not only what's happening from city department perspective, but how to empower the residents to participate and, and resources for them also to get involved. So I'm really excited about where this office is heading. We also just signed up with ICLEI. So we are and a cohort to really focus in on writing that sustainable action plan, which right now Little Rock doesn't have. So we want some hard data on where we've come from, where we want to go, and we want to to really track that now and see the metrics of that improvement um, and be able to show that to our community as well. It's interesting to see how that pathway that's kind of unique and off, off the beaten track can still come back to really fulfilling some sustainability missions that the city has longed for, lacked for, for um, you know, a long time and, and get us moving forward and, and catching up in a, in a way, you know, with, we're in catch up mode and it's an exciting opportunity.
0: You have so much going on. This is, um, you know, you can take your time to catch up on those two years that we kind of missed <laughs> out on. Wow. Oh my gosh. We're just, our fits on the gas. <laughs> it's difficult to, to let it, to let off the gas. Oh, that's amazing. Um, but being busy with all of us, are you, are you going to end up missing maybe that more of educator and, to a certain degree, like a relationship nurturing role, is that something that you think you'll be
3: able to continue to do? It's interesting. I, I, I feel that twinge sometimes of wanting to get back in front of groups of people, whether that's tours or um, visiting with group in person And and that's yet to be seen. It's just, it's interesting how much difference can be made within two years and adapting. Just personally, we have all had to be very adaptable and resilient in navigating a a global pandemic. I think it's important to to help each other and share. And that's why we're in this network, right? I believe this office had been part of SSDN, had let that membership slip. And I hadn't even heard of it up until last year. So March um, of last year, we rejoined SSdn, and that has been a huge, huge help in in kind of forming. These projects that we're working on now, like I said, those those templates that we have um, borrowed and retrofitted to meet Little Rock's needs, just for help with policy work, for the commission to review, and just the myriad of things. SSDM has been a wonderful tool and asset to to getting our work done and seeing how it's done in other places, and, and that support system is invaluable, really.
0: Right. I entirely agree. and. I guess maybe if you put all of us together, we have such a a collection of experiences and backgrounds and abilities that we become mm. this the superpower of sustainability. <laughs> <laughs> I like that too, yes. All right. Well, thank you so much um, for for taking the time. I really appreciate I'm grateful to spending some time with you. And I'm sure our listeners are really going to enjoy hearing about your journey and also what's happening in Little Rock and what will be happening very soon.
3: I'm happy to see everyone in person here in just a couple of months um, and to post these guides and other projects on our website littlerock.gov that will be coming next month um, as we launch those projects and looking forward to to working more with with this network and uh, getting good things done across the southeast and beyond
0: (laughs) hi george thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today Would you mind just giving us a one-sentence summary of your current position?
4: Sure. I am now the Sustainability and Special Projects Manager for the town of Boone. I like to joke that that special projects part means that my boss can pretty much tell me anything. I I get to do anything my boss tells me to do, basically.
0: (laughs) That's a great catch-all. I'm going to have to use that in the future. (laughs) (laughs) How did you get to sustainability? I understand that you did not go to sustainability school like many of us. So please share, share your story with us.
4: Yeah, I don't know how far back you want me to go, but um, I mean, my undergrad degree is in computer science of all things. I minored in electrical engineering. I thought I wanted to be an engineer essentially as a young fella this is you know the early mid 80s um, when i was doing all this so the whole technology world was a real different place than it is today but i I did that for a little while and it wasn't what i really wanted to do and um i was young still i was still in my late mid to late 20s so i uh, I moved on to education. I thought I really enjoyed working with young people, and I was uh, I was coaching hockey and, and lacrosse and some other sports, and decided to get into teaching math in the New York City school system. I was a math teacher at the South Bronx High School for a while. We had a relationship with the North Carolina Outward Bound School. And I brought a dozen kids down in the summer of 95 to tromp around the, the limbo gorge and the woods and camping and backpacking and, and doing all these great things that Outward Bound does and pretty much fell in love with the area and what Outward Bound did. And, and, uh, through dumb luck, I, I scored a, you know, I was talking to the base camp manager at the time and, and, uh, he, he heard a rumor that I wanted to stick around and, I said, Zeb, I'd love to. I'd love to stay if you had a job for me. And he's like, "You come see me in the morning. We'll figure this out." And I was like, "All right, great." So next day, I'm calling my my principal up in New York City and saying, uh, "Mr. Rivera, I'm I'm not coming back." <laughs> so I uh, stuck around through the late '90s without rebound, and and um, met my beautiful wife, and she was going to school up here at Appalachian State in Boone. Uh, getting a master's degree in in school counseling. And uh, so we moved up to this area and I continued in the outdoor education field for some time. And then um, that led to me working with uh, the New River Conservancy. And um, the executive director at the time was leaving and the staff, I guess, enjoyed working with me and, and suggested that I apply for his position. So I went ahead and did that. I'll say the nexus of all this you don't know when you're younger you have all these influences you know i mean growing up in the 70s and 80s you know jimmy carter the whole oil embargo and here we are again going through the same you know and it's just funny how we never seem to learn but um you know i had i had influential teachers at the time i had a physics teacher that that suggested that fire island which is barry island off of long island uh would would be underwater in 50 years and that always stuck with me. Not that I really understood at the time exactly what the mechanism was for that and why he was, you know, why, why that was important to him. But I guess all that just niggled around in my brain for 20, 30 years, you know, then without rebound, I spent uh, a season down in the Florida Everglades and seeing the wholesale alteration of an entire ecosystem by human beings and the way we, we, we straightened the Kissimmee River, and we had to build a levee to hold back the Lake Okeechobee, and that, of course, cuts off the laminar river flow, the what they call the river of grass, uh, that is the Everglades. Again, all that just was was up there. Pushing me, and I knew I needed to give back, and that that's what really excited me about being part of a river conservation group. Was that I got to undo and fix a lot of what human beings have done to the ecosystem, and then that led to me working with the town of Boone a lot. We did a lot of river restoration and stream channel restoration projects here in the town of Boone, and so I got to know the staff really well, and I enjoyed working with them. and 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 I guess the more I did as part of the New River Conservancy, I realized that if you could clean up all the population centers, you really could make a real big dent in in that impact, that human impact. So that led me to conversations with the town manager here, and and him creating this position. This position didn't exist uh, before I applied for it. It was kind of a lifetime of experience that led to where I am now, and and uh, to know that that I get to tackle climate change head on is is pretty exciting.
0: Well, it sounds like uh, you had an exciting adventure all the way to to your current position. Yeah. Uh, do you ever miss being outside, or, or do you still get to do some hands-on projects?
4: I miss being outside all the time. Yes, so I scratch my itch uh, by by doing what I can with our outdoor projects. So this past weekend, while the weather wasn't ideal, I got to go join a bunch of volunteers and do a what turned out to be a roadside cleanup it was going to be a river cleanup but we had 30 and low 40 degree weather with with 20 to 40 mile an hour wind gusts. so we decided the river was probably not a place anybody needed to be so we 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 did this dirt road that runs along the river uh along our greenway path east side of town and got quite a haul but that you know that got me outside um we've done uh tree plantings uh we did a volunteer tree planting a couple of months ago we, had about 30 some odd volunteers come out. We put about 170 some odd, 175 trees in the ground. So I keep seeking out those those things. And then of course personally that's I still love to paddle and love to fish. And if I can do a week long river trip, you know, that's what I'm gonna do. And I, I do at least a couple of those a year. So that keeps me close there.
0: Yeah, you're definitely in a beautiful environment to do so. I know that Boone is a relatively small city maybe one of the smallest that is part of the SSDN. I'm just wondering if your position is very focused on the environmental aspects of sustainability, or if you cover broader grounds, and if you do so, like how are you becoming the expert in those fields without having, again, gone to sustainability school that did not exist when we were <laughs> in college <laughs> yeah
4: so one of the most attractive things to take in this position I can wrap my arms around the town of Boone it's a, it's a size that's containable that you know twenty thousand people, with a university of twenty thousand, it feels like it's not it's not a city of a million people. I don't envy the folks that are trying to do what we do in populations of that size. That's that's a heavy, heavy, heavy lift. I'm at the tail end of my career. I'm in my fifty-five. And so I was looking for something that I could really go out and bang on, I guess. <laughs> And then, you know, to your question about tackling energy. So, yeah, we do run the gamut. And when I got here, the town council had passed some pretty aggressive and robust goals climate neutrality goals, um, municipal operations, climate neutral by 2030. And by 2040, not just neutral, but truly only burning green and renewable energy sources. And then by 50, the entire community of 20 plus thousand people. Uh, you know, it felt pretty daunting when I got here, given that I, I didn't have that direct background, as you, as you say. But what I do know in my lifetime of work is that I don't ever feel like I have to really, truly understand pretty much anything. And I know that's a pretty controversial statement, but <laughs> joke about 70% is enough. If if I know 70%, I know plenty. If I know 90 or 95%, I know too much. I'm I'm flying on a much higher level than those that are in the weeds and on the ground doing the work. I get out of their way. They know what they're doing. i'm I'm not gonna get in those folks' way. I'm going just gonna harness that energy and that knowledge. And so I sit down with the general managers of our our utilities and and meet with all the folks who can help me get to the goals that we need to get to. You know I'm excited to say I've only been here a year and a half, and really, within twelve months, I'd secured the town one hundred percent renewable energy for our municipal operations. So we've got about seventy-five percent of our power is coming from a solar source, and the rest of the twenty-five percent is coming from uh, hydropower. It's it's more negotiations and more finding the right players and the right people to talk to than it is us installing those facilities. Boone is in a in a challenging place from an energy generation point of view, where the mountains we're in a valley in in the middle of the mountains up here at over three thousand thirty three hundred feet. So even solar is compromised with the aspect of the sun and everything else. We don't get the exposure that eastern Piedmont and uh, the coastal plains get. And so why try to generate energy up here at a premium? Land prices up here are ridiculous. It doesn't make sense. And so... Our, one of our energy providers was able to install about an 11 megawatt array just off the mountain, down in the Piedmont, where, again, the sun exposure is much greater. And uh, it just makes more sense. It's more economical. It's more feasible. And so, yeah, you know, they provide us energy. So it's coming up here and that's the way to do it. Now, I haven't abandoned my my natural resources background either. Uh, we do we, we are actively working on multiple stream restoration, um, working to develop a stormwater utility here in Boone we don't we're not MS4 yet but we expect to be we probably should have already been but no no uh, mandatory letters came from the state so <laughs> we've been flying under the radar but i think it's time for us to to step up and do the right thing there so i'm i'm working to push that initiative forward to sustainability can really be everything and anything right <laughs>
0: so. absolutely yes i also am in charge of uh, stream restorations here in Sandy Springs so
4: Outstanding. There you go.
0: Is there anything else you would like to
4: add? You asked me about events. I guess I could say April's always Earth Month, That's we all do all of our Earth events. So we have an April 1st, first Friday. So we, every first Friday of the month from April on, we have an event uh, downtown for, for folks locally. And so we, we have a, a historic house called the Jones House, and, and it's kind of the center of our cultural resources department, you know, so there's music and, and art and other things down there. And so on April 1st, First Friday, we're, of course, celebrating Earth Day. And and um, this year's unique in that it's Boone's 150th year as a town. And so we're celebrating that at the same time. And so we're giving away 150 trees in celebration of Boone's 150th year as part of Earth First Friday. So that'll be fun. We'll have all kinds of nonprofits out there on the Jones House lawn, the uh, River Conservancy, Blue Ridge Conservancy, the uh, some beekeepers and others to 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 promote all the all the good work being done out there that sounds fun I wish I could go (laughs) yeah (laughs) love to have you come on up
0: (laughs) (laughs) well it was a pleasure to getting to know more about your your story and what you currently do so thank you so much for accepting this invitation
4: you're very welcome it was a pleasure being here with you Catherine I really enjoyed it thanks
0: That was George Santucci with the town of Boone, North Carolina. And now my own trajectory. When it was time for me to apply for college in the mid-1990s, I couldn't settle on a specific major. I hesitated between botany and architecture, and I ended up in ecology and environment at the University of Montreal. After spending a summer in a remote research station in the Laurentian mountains with mosquitoes as my only companions, I realized I needed to be among civilization. I took a 180 and got a master's in urban planning. Then I discovered I wanted to design the built environment and went back for more for an undergrad in landscape architecture. My professional career started with private companies, first in Montreal and then in Atlanta, in urban planning and landscape architecture. I pushed hard to promote the use of native plant species and smart management of stormwater and I became a lead accredited professional. The mid to late 2000s recession cut short my aspirations. I ended up working for local governments in planning and zoning and honestly, I was miserable. I had the opportunity to develop the sustainability program for the city of Sandy Springs in 2019, and my mental health took a a turn for the better. I love my current position as sustainability manager because it allows me to make connections between all the different disciplines I have studied and practiced. I forgot to mention that during the recession, I had a short stint as an environmental educator and took graduate courses in public administration. Uh, I really am a nerd, but going back to the multidisciplinary nature of sustainability, I get to work in natural resource protection and restoration, education, project management. In short, everything I have learned in the past several years congeal into something comprehensive at last. I hope this episode gave our listeners a glimpse in the many different approaches to sustainability as a profession. Of course, this is a very small sample size and certainly does not give justice to the diversity of backgrounds. In fact, I would be interested to see if there are common themes to all of us who didn't follow the traditional path. And then again, is there really a traditional path? Sustainability sits at the intersection of so many disciplines, and it really still is a a new concept. I'm Catherine Mercier-Baggett. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for our next episode of Green Minds with my co-host, Laurel Creech.